G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to check us out online, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is part of a series on the seven deadly sins and the seven life-giving virtues. And today we're looking at wrath and anger and the life-giving virtue of patience. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 2, beginning at the 13th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of accords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who saw, how dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Father, as we approach your word this morning, we pray that you would open up the deadly sin of anger and the life-giving virtue of patience. As we begin, I want to ask you, what animal are you? See that as human beings, we, we become animals <laughs> when we deal with, care about people's feelings. They care about goals. Goals are very important. So they will munch on a person in order to get what they want. There's a fifth animal, the compromising fox. Now this wily fox will um, sometimes sacrifice a relationship in order to get a goal, and sometimes they'll sacrifice a goal in order to get a relationship. So I ask you this morning, St. John's, which are you? Does anyone, does anyone identify with the turtle? Don't like conflict? Mm. Yep, jump in there, okay? Some people, yeah, all the turtles are like, <laughs> not ready to come out of their shell and identify themselves. Who's the teddy bear? Who's the teddy bear? Yeah, you just roll over, just let people do what they want. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. Good to see some, good to see some smiles. Good to see some honest people. Teddy bears are like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, where are some collaborating owls? Let's see some collaborating owls. We want you on parish council. No. <laughs> There's good, good to see some collaborating owls. Yeah, yeah. You work, you work to find a compromise. You work very hard. Sharks. Any sharks? Any sharks ready to say, I am ready to get my goals? Yep. Yep. They're putting up their fins. Like, yeah, I'm a shark. <laughs> Not too many in the congregation, and that's okay. What about a compromising fox? What if, you know, sometimes you'll sacrifice a goal to get a relationship. Sometimes you'll sacrifice a relationship to get a goal. Good to see some honest foxes there. Well done. Oh, good, good. And the, and the foxes are like, yeah, that's me. 
I know, I know what I am. <laughs> when I did this personality test on myself, they had a group of clergy in the room. Um, and I found it difficult because a lot of people were putting up their hands and I couldn't put up my hand for anything. And I asked the trainer, I said, I'm not there. And he said, ah, I know what you are. You're an exploding koala. <laughs> um, this is because, yeah, an exploding koala is, is what it says on the tin. Um, a koala will compromise again and again, but they will bottle up their anger and they will bottle up their frustration until they explode. <laughs> Koalas seem like nice, malleable people until they're not. And this is why I've been dreading talking about wrath, about anger, because it's something I struggle with. I try to be gentle and approachable, but sometimes I lose my cool with people, and it's never with the people who made me angry in the first place. But thankfully, the Bible has a lot to teach us about anger. So let's dive in and see what we can learn. One of the first things we learn about God in the Old Testament that the Lord is, is that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. This phrase, or similar, appears eight times in the Old Testament to describe the Lord. Now, while it's nice to know the Lord is kind and feels for us gracious and compassionate, the second half makes it sound like God has anger issues. Slow to anger? Surely God shouldn't get angry at all. Sadly, this is an unhealthy idea that we find in the world and even in the church today. Buddhism uh, and other worldviews teach that anger is wrong outright. And in order to live the good life, we need to free ourselves from all passions in order to reach enlightenment. Anger is bad, and you need to get rid of it at all costs. Spiritual people must be nice and placid at all times, and anger must be suppressed. This thinking, as I say, has crept into the church. When I was at theological college, we weren't allowed to read the so-called texts of terror in chapel. In our chapel services, we were not allowed to read psalms like Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us, he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. John Wesley, um, a famous preacher and evangelist, he wrote that this psalm was unfit for Christian ears. So does God have an anger problem? No. But the Bible does tell us that he gets angry. So it's not whether or not God gets angry, but why. In the pages of the scriptures, we see a God who cares. From the beginning, where Adam and Eve, part of God's good creation, turn against him and reject his authority, God is grieved on account of their sin. 
Adam and Eve's son, Cain, lets his anger with his brother turn to wrath, which is just extreme anger, and then to murder. God tries to intervene. God, far from a distant and unemotional guy in the sky, is grieved by the wickedness of the world. Despite God's mighty works to cleanse the world of sin, again and again, people turn back to wickedness and rebellion. And this angers God. And friends, to be honest, I wouldn't want it any other way. A God who can look at abuse, neglect and injustice and just shrug their shoulders is not a good God at all. And this brings us back to Psalm 137. This psalm was written by a victim of trauma. In 587 BC, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II. Thousands of men, women and children were slaughtered and 4,200 survivors were dragged off into exile in Babylon. The person who wrote Psalm 137 was one of those survivors. They had seen children have their heads dashed against rocks. And so they share a song, which, um, thanks to Boney M, still resonates with us today. You may think of, think of Boney M when you, when you hear this. By the rivers of Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and we wept and we remembered Zion. But the writer can't sing. He says, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? It's beautiful, but it's also brutally honest. And not even Boney M could sound out verse 8. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Here's the rub. The writer expresses their anger, but I highly doubt they ever took out their anger on anyone, let alone a child. See, the angry Psalms in the Bible show us that anger, far from being an unnatural emotion, is part of our being created in God's image. Anger is the outworking of love. We care about things. And we get angry about the things that we care about when they're not as they should be. God loves us. And so he gets angry when we lie, when we cheat, and when we hurt one another. The writer of Psalm 137 doesn't have to hide or suppress their anger because they know God feels their pain and cares about injustice. The fact that the Bible, the God of the Bible gets angry shouldn't be something Christians are ashamed of. Instead, we should recognize it's another one of his divine traits that make him the almighty God of all creation. But there is an important difference between human anger and God's anger. James 1, 19 to 20 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. While I get angry at red lights, I get angry when I spill my coffee on my shirt, 
and when my football team doesn't win the game, God gets angry about things that matter. More often than not, human anger is out of kilter with reality. And it doesn't produce righteousness. But the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And that's why he's slow to anger and rich in love. Anger is a powerful emotion. It's not a sin in itself. It's a reaction. Sadly, however, too often we are blinded by anger and just take justice into our own hands. And we hurt people and we sin. A couple of years ago, I realised that I had to deal with my anger. And um, I, I, went, I went to someone who was involved in the church, a very senior leader. And I talked about how I often try to suppress my anger. Um, and, and he said something very interesting to me. He said, well, David, you, you've got a faith, don't you? And I was like, yeah, of course I've got a faith. I'm a priest. Come on. <laughs> And he said, why don't you use your faith? Because you heard about all these ways that I was trying to suppress my anger and not be angry, but they were so secular and they had nothing to do with my understanding of God. So what can we do about our anger? In the words of the great sage of our age, Taylor Swift, she's been getting a lot of news coverage Um, She just says, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. Is that what we're meant to do? Do we just need to calm down and just say this to ourselves? Give ourselves an uppercut and say, stop being angry. No. Rather than taking it out on others, bottling bottling it up, or trying to medicate or drug ourselves into oblivion so we don't feel angry or feel anything... God calls us to overcome evil with good. So I want to riff off another band. It's called the Smith Street Band. It's one of my favourite bands. You might want to go and listen to them after church. Um, But they have an album called Don't Waste Your Anger, which I think is, is a brilliant thing. And I think it's exactly what God calls us to do with our anger. Don't waste your anger. And that's exactly what the guy I was speaking to to about my anger issue said. He said, look, you've got this faith. Don't waste your anger. Take it to God. Use your faith as a resource. So what I want to suggest for you today is three ways we can channel our anger into good. First, we can let our anger drive us to our knees in prayer to God the Father. Second, we can let the example of Jesus the Son inspire us to use our anger for good. And third, we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us the patience to channel our anger into righteous living. So first of all, God the Father. Again, we're going to go back to Psalm 137, which is a great example of an angry prayer to our Father. The writer has seen the horrors of war Their captives taunt them, and they long for justice. So they look to a God of justice for hope. The angry Psalms are comforting because they remind us that there is a God in heaven who knows our darkest thoughts and is big enough to take them. As a father, I know when Micah is angry, 
I want him to tell me what's bugging him, whether it's justified or not. God wants us to take our anger to him. Because only he knows the full story. The person who cuts you off in traffic may have been diagnosed with cancer that day. The wait staff may have gotten your order wrong because they've just been laid off. The homeless person yelling at you in the street probably drinks to numb their pain and their worry and the thoughts of the things that have happened to them. Friends, God has broad shoulders and open arms. Broad shoulders and open arms. When we feel angry, we need to follow the lead of Psalm 137 and take our anger to our good, good Father and talk to him about it. And this is where the example of Jesus is so important. Jesus got frustrated and angry. He gets frustrated with his disciples. He gets angry with the Pharisees when they judge him. And he prays in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22 tells us he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because he was in anguish at what was going on. Perhaps the best known account of Jesus getting angry is when he cleanses the temple. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, every single gospel. And they think perhaps Jesus did it twice because it comes um, in Matthew, Mark and Luke at the end of the gospel when Jesus is about to go to the cross. But in John, it comes in chapter 2. And John writes, In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So Jesus goes to the outer courts of the temple, which was the only place that Gentiles, non-Jews, could go to pray to God. And you imagine, you're a Gentile, you're trying to come to God, the God of Israel, and you, 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 you get down in, on your knees in the temple courts and you start to pray. And all of a sudden, plop, a cow pat lands at your knee. And someone sells coins for sale, coins for sale. They're shouting around you and there's doves flying everywhere. It's just a marketplace. And Jesus comes into this situation, this special place where Gentiles were meant to come to the God of heaven and earth. And he sees a marketplace. So what does he do? He makes a whip. Now, this whip would have been a little bit like this. Maybe it was made out of rope, or maybe it was made out of flax. But as you can see, I'm not going to hurt anyone with this. What does he do with the whip? He drives out the cattle. And when he drives out the cattle and the sheep, what, what goes with them? The sellers, the sellers, all the hucksters. He turns over the tables of the moneylenders and they're grabbing their coins and trying to get out of there before all their coins get stolen. And it's interesting, in, in the accounts, he doesn't let the doves free. He doesn't smash the dove cages. Instead, he goes over to the dove people. He's, he's already bit, gotten rid of the herd people. And he, said, he says, take these doves out of here. Get out of here. This is my father's house. And again, think about it. All of a sudden, 
Gentiles can get down on their knees and there's no confusion. There's just silence. There's just space. Friends, so often our anger is destructive and it creates pain and suffering wherever it goes. But Jesus' anger is redemptive and cleansing. He creates space for people to come back to God. The other night we told this story to our boys and my older son said to me, See Dad, Jesus wasn't perfect because he got angry. But actually... In this story, we see that in his anger, Jesus didn't sin because he uses his anger for good. He doesn't attack the people. He attacks the concept. And he creates space. In that moment, the disciples don't come up to Jesus and go, Hey, Jesus, don't freak out like that. Calm down. Instead, they remember the prophecy from Psalm 69.9. Zeal for your house will consume me. Aussie commentator Leon Morris tells us that people weren't frightened of Jesus' physical presence in the temple. Instead, they were convicted by Jesus' moral presence. People exchanging coins didn't look down and go, oh, come on, Jesus, it's just coins. Instead they went, oh, yeah, you're right. The people with the herds and flocks went, oh, yeah, this is a place of prayer. I better get out of here. Jesus performs an act of angry worship. He doesn't explode on people. Instead, he exposes the injustice of the situation. In doing so, he creates a clear and calm space where people can once again meet and pray to God. Friends, unrighteous human anger is selfish and unjust and destructive. God's righteous anger is selfless, redemptive and creative. We as a church should rage at injustice. The church isn't angry enough about human trafficking, child abuse, the treatment of Christians who are persecuted overseas. We should be angry about the things that God is angry about, but so often we get sidetracked on ridiculous things that actually don't concern God too much. We should pray that God would help us, like Jesus, to channel our anger in redemptive ways, And this is why we need the church. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Christians can go off half-cocked on crusades that they don't really understand. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to make us a people who are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how humility is the antidote to pride and charity is the antidote for greed. But patience is a vital additive, not an antidote for anger. We need to walk by the Holy Spirit. We might get angry, but our lives won't be marked by anger. When we live by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will come from our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. God is justice and mercy. 
And that's why only God is qualified to help us channel our anger and our emotions into his redemptive purposes. So whatever animal you are, whether you're the fox, whether you're the teddy bear or the shark, and however you respond to things you don't think are right, remember that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Don't waste your anger. When you feel angry, when you feel anger rising in your bloodstream, run to your Father in prayer. Look to Jesus, your Saviour, for inspiration. And let the Holy Spirit help you channel that anger into mission. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Help us to live for your glory and channel our anger into your redemptive purposes. In Jesus' name we pray.